Would you pray with me? Lord, hear our prayers. This morning, as we look at your word, God, may we find you there. May our thoughts be only and always on you. Speak to us this morning, and I pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. July 4th, 1776, comprised of delegates from the 13 original colonies, the Continental Congress approved and signed the Declaration of Independence, fully separating America from Great Britain. Perhaps best known from this declaration is the following sentence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now that is a good line. But taken out of its context, I fear we lose much of its power. You see, the Declaration is about liberty, yes, but it is bigger, so much bigger than the staunch individualism for which we Americans are known today. If you read the entirety of the document for yourself, you'll notice the Declaration opposes selfishness, particularly the selfishness of King George III, which lay as the primary cause for American rebellion. Line after line, the delegates lay out grievances against him, saying things such as, he has refused, he has forbidden, he has dissolved, he has endeavored to prevent, imposing, cutting off, depriving, abolishing, taking away, suspending, he has plundered, he has constrained. They continue, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people, and thus their conclusion, we, the representatives of the United States of America, for the support of this declaration, mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Did you catch that switch from he the king to we the people? King George imposed selfish and self-interested policies, but the declaration is all about a united we. Its authors and the recipients set out to create a new mutually beneficial system in which cooperation and due consideration allows liberty to thrive in the hands of not just a lonely man on a throne, but of all people. Our text for this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 verse 30 through chapter 2 verse 5. That's Philippians 1.30 through 2.5. And while you turn there, allow me to provide a little background and context to this book and passage. As far as we know, Paul has only visited the Roman city of Philippi on one occasion as described in Acts 16. During his visit, he met a lady named Lydia, who became the first convert there, and he established a church in her home. 
Over the next weeks, things took a turn for the worse, and Paul, as well as his preaching partner Silas, were arrested for preaching the gospel and disturbing the peace. They were stripped down, beaten, ruthlessly, publicly disgraced, and thrown into prison without trial. After some time and a couple miracles, the magistrates released them and forced them to leave the city. However, on their way out, they made one stop and for one singular purpose. You can imagine, bloodied, battered, and bruised, these two went to Lydia's home to encourage the believers who met there. Now some years have passed, and Paul is back in prison, this time in Rome, and he writes this letter because the same persecution he had faced in Philippi has now intensified and come to Lydia's doorstep in the church that met there. So to sum up the context, Paul is in prison and the Philippians are undergoing persecution. And with this in mind, let's read the text. Philippians 1.30 through 2.5. Paul begins, You are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation from love, if there is any sharing in spirit, if there is any compassion and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider one another as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you as Christ Jesus had. Church family, tomorrow we all celebrate Independence Day, and liberty is a good and noble pursuit. But being in right relationship with God and one another is far better. In these next few moments, I want to draw our attention to two primary ideas. There are plenty throughout this passage, but I want to focus on two. First, I want us to consider the four if statements in chapter 2, verse 1. Had we considered this passage out of its larger context, it would seem Paul is scolding the Philippians or chastising them because of their character. He writes, if there is any encouragement, if there is any consolation, if there is any sharing in spirit, if there is any compassion or sympathy. And this is where we ought to be careful with our exegesis. Otherwise, I believe we do damage and a disservice to Paul and this letter. In English, our word if shows ambivalence, uncertainty, a lack of something. For example, when faced with a problem, do we not say if I only had a million dollars? The assumption being I don't. Or, if I only had more time. If I only, if I only. But personally, I do not believe Paul is using these statements in such a negative manner. It doesn't make sense. Based on everything else in Philippians, as well as the account in Acts chapter 16, Paul loves this church even more than his own life. I believe he seeks to encourage and edify them in their sufferings, not to chastise and scold. 
He would never say to them, if only you had encouragement in Christ, because he knows they have encouragement in Christ. So we're left only with the positive option, which is entirely better. It would change the reading to this, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, and if there is any consolation from love, and there is, and if there is any sharing in spirit, and there is, and since there is compassion and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Second and finally, I want us to consider the imperative plurals. It's the section of the text where Paul is talking about these things I said, this encouragement you have ought to lead to these things. Once again, English fails to capture the nuance of New Testament Greek, beginning in verse 2 and continuing to the end. And this is where being an Oklahoman will come in handy. All of these statements have not to do with you, the singular individual, but with y'all, the collective plural. Whenever Paul says, complete my joy, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. And when he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard one another as better than yourselves. And look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And finally, have the same mind as that which Christ Jesus had. He is not talking specifically to individuals. He's talking to a church as a whole. Not you, but y'all. In much the same way, Paul calls you and me and all of us out of our shells of isolation, our places of insulation, and he pulls us away from this lone wolf mentality that says, I have to do this on my own. Instead, he lumps us into a big, beautiful community where your life and my life and all of our lives are intimately and inextricably bound up with one another. So in conclusion, church family, since we also have encouragement in Christ, and since we also have consolation provided by love, and since we have fellowship with the Spirit and compassion and sympathy, and because we too can have the same mind, the same love, unity and spirit, and one purpose, I ask us to do two things. First, I'd like us to follow Christ, whether it is for the first time or as a renewed effort on your parts. This morning, you can follow Christ. Second, I would like you to join this church if you are not already a member, both formally and as a participant in our mission to love people wherever they are and to teach them to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Both of these requests will require you to set aside some of your personal liberties. But consider what you will gain. Liberty, you see, is a good and noble pursuit. But if we learn anything from Paul, the prisoner, and the persecuted Philippians, it is that freedom can be taken away. And it pales in comparison to being in right relationship with God and one another. Let us pray.